uh, we established day one as the first firm that invests in companies and spearheads their communications when we not only take care of strategy, we create messaging, we create strategy, we do media outreach, so we get involved into all parts of communication process and there's simply not a single VC firm, there is no one that's doing and we haven't mm. been doing it as a vendor. We totally became VC fund and we would not charge anything, no equity, no cash, no nothing for the work that mm. we would provide. Today we had Masha Busher on the pod. Masha is the founder of Day One Ventures, an early stage venture capital firm that's pioneering a new model in VC by spearheading communications for its portfolio companies. The fund has backed six unicorns and one of the portfolio companies have gone public. They have invested in companies like Remote, Worldcoin, Superhuman, Truebill, Do Not Pay, Atoms, DuckDuckGo and more. Before that, Masha was an angel investor and PR studio founder working with companies like House, Hotel Tonight, Doctor, and more. During our conversation, we covered the founding story of Day One Ventures. How does it differentiate itself from other funds? How Day One Venture is revolutionizing communications in VC? Recurring pattern among the successful companies she has invested in, portfolio construction. How has she improved over the years as an investor? mistakes she's made in investing, what are the best strategies for raising capital from LPs, who is she outside of work, and much more. Now I bring you Masha. Masha, so excited to have you on the pod. Thanks for having me, Shiva. Masha, maybe a good starting point could be what drove you into angel investing and what was the founding story of Day One Ventures? Hmm. So I, uh, before angel investing, I was running my second company and we were providing PR and communications work for a bunch of tech companies. And I've been doing it after previous company, which was social media agency. And after working for five years for a very successful entrepreneur in his venture fund and his data protection uh, company and head of comms role. So when I had this PR company, I realized um, we took around 30 clients and that was around like 2000. 2014 and we were very selective and sometimes I was applying like skills and criteria that I learned to apply when I was a part of venture capital and out of this 30 companies that we took by 2017 um, nine of them became unicorns including House, Hotel Tonight, Get, TopTel, WeWork and a few more and it made me realize that I should be working with these companies and investor is investor and as shareholder not only as a head of comms and not only as their PR agent and it was very um, at the time it was a quite successful business in three years after the start we got to 8 million revenue 8, eight figures million revenue mm -hmm. and it was a quite profitable business as well but I was also understanding that being vendor and service provider for some of the best founders I met is probably not necessarily structures that's the most aligned with the way how I feel working with these companies and for these companies because the help and work that I've been doing for them was not only about PR it was so much more and we were helping them fundraise and recruit the best talent and I just like to be feeling like I'm a part of their journey long term and contributing to their success long term as well so the structure of this PR business which was successful and profitable simply didn't allow this so I transitioned into angel investor in 2016-17 invested in maybe like dozen and a half companies and the DPI of this portfolio is 11x the TVPI is 15x so it's ended up being very successful transition and venture and mm -hmm. um, early success was I 
angel investments gave me a conviction and idea to create the fund. And so I created just uh, day one ventures in 2018. Got it. Uh, so it seems like investing came very naturally to you and, and you were doing good. Uh, you were able to pick uh, the right founders, the right teams, uh, and the track record was there. Uh, Masha, there's, there are thousands of uh, VC funds in the US. How have you differentiated <laughs> yourself from others to both LPs when you're raising and to founders when you're pitching? Mm -hmm. So I think um, in terms of uh, differentiator, it was very clear and it's kind of like came from the way how we saw model. We were providing help with comps for the best founders we could meet. And we were realizing how important this help and work is because it helps you to grow fast. It helps you to get clients, helps and opens the door to so many, um, for so many partnerships and for investors, right? And we saw lots of value for from communications being provided for company on early stage and on early stage, the articles that you secure or episode on today's show, for example, or their first TechCrunch story or their first mention in New York Times could be really life-changing for the company. But we did know that PR agency structure simply doesn't allow you to provide it. And um, it was just like clear that as a <clears throat> successful PR firm, you don't take very early clients. So it's always expensive for a client, but it's not necessarily good for your own business. You as PR agency, you always try to take client on retainer. And while for early stage companies, they probably have three newsworthy events over the year and you don't have to be doing communications every single week. So this retainer pay wouldn't be worthwhile. So we were looking for the way to provide it better. So hmm. it's, uh, we established day one as the first firm that invest in companies and spearhead their communications when we not only take care of strategy, we create messaging, we create strategy, we do media outreach. So we get involved into all parts of communication process and there is simply not a single VC firm. There is no one that's doing and we haven't been doing it as a vendor. We totally became VC fund and we would not charge anything, no equity, no cash, no nothing for the work that we would provide. And I think uh, lots of big amount of stage VC firms, they have had of course from time to time advice portfolio companies about how to do PR, but there is a big story, big difference between telling someone how to land TechCrunch or New York Times article versus actually rolling down the sleeves and getting this article for them, right? So there is a really huge difference. So we, um, I think big differentiator of day one is that we not only tell companies how to do PR, we actually do this PR. So from the work amount that needs to be done to accomplish and to bring results and to bring this media mentions that would be life-changing for mm -hmm. stage company, we take 95% of load of this work on our team shoulders and we take as minimum time of the founder and founder of the team as minimum as possible, but on the same time, deliver very clear, very measurable results that um, really change companies' life and help our portfolio grow much faster than yeah. the portfolio of the rest of the firm. So I think one of the differentiators, if you think about hundreds of US firms, the big differentiator is really that our results and our IRR and portfolio grows so much faster. And I yeah. think it's not only PR work, it's also like picking the best. I think it's just like combination of picking the best founders and enabling them achieve their most ambitious goal by using communications and marketing as a tool. Got it. And Masha, uh, what's been 
the portfolio construction for day one ventures and has it evolved from day uh, from mm. fund one to fund three? Yeah, uh, the portfolio construction has been changing and um, I think at the beginning the goal would be to be part of the best companies we meet one way or another. We'll be extremely flexible about ownership and uh, we usually invest all three funds investing same way. First, 60% of the fund goes into first checks. So, and in the first fund, average first check was around uh, probably like 200, 300, and second fund was 300. As the third fund, it would be around a million and a half, or uh, mm-hmm. between like 1 million to 2 million. And so the amount is changing. I think right now we invested in six unicorns in early stage. We had 20 exits. I think we have much more visible brand on the market and very clear proven value in very large community of founders that constantly drive us new, exciting founders and companies. So we try to, for the first check, plus or minus, but we try to get to some sort of around like 5% of ownership for the very first check, uh, just to be involved and give all this work in addition to the company where we have some um, some, some some kind of, um, like some good amount of ownership, right? Because it does align us in terms of our long-term goals. And then 40% of the fund goes into uh, t- uh, 20% best performing companies. So we create funnel of opportunities. We work with all of the companies on PR side with all the companies we invested. But then as we see them growing, there is like 20% of companies that we believe are absolute winners and have the highest chance to be the first one to reach $10 billion in value. So we identify it as we work together with them, right? And as we see the dynamic and then for these companies, we put the second check and um, third fund will be putting around like five up to like between like three and five million the second check in the company is that and it could be already while first check uh, happens on pre-seed and seed stage, second check can happen in series A and maybe in some cases in series B. So this way we, on the one hand, create very diversified portfolios. So our, we really protect it and de-risked in many ways for, um, with this strategy. But as we double down on winners, that's like where we generate returns, right? So we make sure there is like a bit more significant ownership in the companies. And we also like uh, probably spending slightly more time for these companies as well. Got it. And uh, Masha, in the beginning, it was a lot about, you know, you were getting inbound deal flow and, uh, you know, founders were reaching out given the brand that you had. Uh, you know, maybe we can touch on mm-hmm. uh, the four important aspects of investing, which is uh, uh, deal flow, sourcing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, second, you know, picking, uh, third, mm-hmm. winning, and fourth, help, helping founders accelerate. How have you uh, improved yourself or evolved over the years in all four aspects? Uh, let's take them like step by step, right? So the first is... is uh, deal flow. So deal flow, 80% of investments that we made came as introduction of our founders. We get around 1,000 companies coming our way for investment inbound and we do at least, we do around like one investment per month average. There are like some months when we do one investment in two months, right? But like average pace is one deal a month, right? And uh, we invest in pre-seed and seed and, uh, but while we do have 1,000 um, uh, opportunities and it comes from like all kinds of ways, like from media, from us hosting big events, from us doing special collaboration with artists and media and from all kinds of sources, right? I think the best quality flow really comes from our own founders and our own founders is the one who introduced us to their friends. And we think that as soon as you, if you want to really get access to the best opportunities possible, cannot be just good investor. You need to be favorite investor. You need to be the best investor, right? 
life, you need to be investors. That every founder you work with mentioned all the time. And yeah. founders don't tell. Here's like my ten favorite investors. They name like one, two, maybe three, right? So yeah. you really have to uh, stand out. And I think the way we do it, we uh, create expectations. We even before investing in the company, we tell how the launch can look like and what it can include. They would get if we work together, right? And then we just deliver on our promises and we try to definitely like push ourselves and over deliver on those promises. So it does really bring, um, as you uh, deliver on promises consistently, it does really create a lot of trust and companies benefiting a lot. Their revenues grow and their partnerships go through. They're able to negotiate much better. They get new investors uh, knocking their doors, right? So it does really bring a lot of value on early stage. And it's also, we don't charge anything. We don't come up with some schemes for advisory shares or combination of cash and equity. It's just purely in addition to financial investment, this PR work, right? So funds really excited and they talk about us to their friends and that's where the best deal flow comes, but said that we also like scout quite a bit. And I personally met lots of the founders that flew back to the internet and just spoke with them and ended up investing. So if, while we do have a lot of um, inbound, we keep be, being quite active outbound. Got it. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, I think one of your big winners uh, was really, it's a cool story. You found them on Product Hunt, uh, Truebill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and Masha, if you think about it, reflect on it, how much of success in investing is luck as well? Do you think luck matters? I don't think it's not, it's not like a model I'm applying in my life. I think you yeah. apply like you being your best at every single moment. And I think this is already hard enough task. And I think that does really maximize success. I think if you uh, find someone on Product Hunt, this was probably not the very first company that we saw on Product Hunt and reached out, right? So it was a lot of shoots when we would reach out and we wouldn't get excited, right? It's not like we just like woke up and yeah. out of the blue went on Product Hunt for the first time, sold those companies, sent the money, and boom, we got like fun return. It's been much more work than that. Yeah. So putting yourself in positions where, you know, uh, they say that luck can find you or luck will find you. It's it's more about you yeah. putting yourself out there. I think externally it does really uh does really look like we like it and i would definitely not try to argue and say we are unlike it but on the same time i just think it's rational and uh, quite uh it's just like when you really really active you maximize your chances to succeed and i think uh everyone in day one team is extremely hard working and extremely active and proactive and i think it's compounding into long-term effects right and i think uh, there's like also one thing is just it's like bigger than luck it's like the right strategy right even in mm-hmm. games so i do think we actually being quite strategic about everything that we do and we not take any single day-to-day decisions as something that we just like decide now and then something else i do understand that everything matters and every single decision how we do something matters and i think realizing it and feeling like very much at the core like what is our culture how we do business what kind of partners we are been something that's really important um and ended up being very important for what we built got it and moving on to uh picking uh you you have a great track record i think it's nine or ten plus unicorns you've uh, packed 
Masha, have you seen a pattern, uh, you know, in these successful companies that you've backed? Um, I think uh, there are some patterns and everyone knows about them, like founders extremely smart and they work really, really hard. For example, I haven't met a single early stage founder who succeeded without needing to work these 80, 90 hours a week, if not hundred. I haven't met a single one who kind of like skipped it and just like had a sh different shortcut and became, suddenly um, ended up running Unicorn, right? Um, uh, but um, I think there are like some things that I really like to notice. And one of the, I also like to say is that um, I think every single unicorn founder or especially Decacorn founder is anomaly. And I don't think anomalies are like all the same. I think uh, you just look for anomaly. You look like for someone who's like absolutely different, right? And the more different this new founder that you meet you get, the more interesting it makes things, right? I think one thing that I very much noticed about lots of unicorn founders I've been working with, the ability to intuitively find something that's most important for company at single moment of time and <clears throat> I think if you really think well it's usually one thing it's not like 10 important things it's really one thing and then they would intuitively find this like one most important thing and they would just like focus on all of the attention all of the energy on this one most important thing and they wouldn't let it go until it's done right I think focus is very much it's spoken a lot about but I think different people think different things about focus and the power of focus is really incredible and the best founders I've been working with they just can find this like most important thing and just keep working on it and not letting it go until it's fully done and executed on got it and uh, and yeah you've I think you've already uh, touched upon winning which is uh, your differentiation around uh, PR and communication and accelerating or helping founders accelerate is again back uh, PR and, uh, and and communication and Masha you know you've been investing I think you started investing in 2016 or so, uh, you know, it's about uh, you know, almost eight years. If you reflect back, I don't know if you have already reflected. It's not. Um, it's not fully correct because first time I joined Runa Capital was, I believe, it was 2011, if I'm not mistaken. So I think in 2011, it's like I'm checking my link. It's like where I started investing. So even though I was a head of comms role, I was able to find a few unicorns like Class Pass that my bosses has invested in at that time. <clears throat> And um, so I think my investing like job been actually even longer. Yeah, it was 2011. So at this point, that's uh, going to be more than 12 years uh, since I sourced the first investment. Sorry for interrupting you. Yeah. 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 Uh, mm -hmm. and, and on reflection, Masha, mm -hmm. have there been times where you're like, what the hell was I doing? Mm. In what way? In, in terms of investing, like mistakes or, you know, you were mm. like, you know, I've improved mm. so much from where I started, like how I think about it. No, I think I think what the hell was I doing when I look at like my 15x TVPI from 2016-17 because I think it's really incredible result and I put good amount of money for myself into this and I'm just all I do right now and I knew so much less that I do know right now my network was so much smaller the brand was like so much like almost nothing it was reputation but it was really no brand and <clears throat> I just like surprised how I managed to get to this results and I like constantly reflecting like how did I do it what did I do right so one of the right things was just like right 
think she extremely early, right? And I think it's our sweet spot, identifying people before everyone realizes they're going to be successful. It's also the most rewarding, to be honest, to meet someone like extremely early when no one yet believe in a person or see the person. And it doesn't mean it has to be no success. It could be just like scientists who had nothing to do with business before. And you just see it's going to be, it's a great founder material. And you're the first one to tell this <coughs> to this founder and the first one to help and make a few introductions and help strategize what she can work on, right? So I think that's just like the most rewarding. But in terms of like learnings, I think one thing I realized, I'm not going to do any low conviction investments. If it's like, it's like either yes or no, if you have doubts, it's no. And because every single check uh, as angel or from the first fund, every single small check, which where I could rate, right? Like 300 and I would rate 25 or 50, right? Just like to have food in the door. None of these investments been successful. Sometimes like you want to write 300 or 500 and you only have room for 50, but you still have to fight for this 50 and then you get, and then you invest more. These companies are good, right? But the companies which was just like low conviction, it was like these people and I or someone really successful recommended to back them and back them themselves. So all this story just makes no sense. And I'm just trying to clear out my space by not taking um, any low conviction investments or medium conviction investments, right? Just to have more time for the ones that I have full conviction about. Got it. And Masha, moving on to fundraising, uh, you know, I think I believe your first fund was back in 2018. Uh, mm -hmm. And then today, I think you're on to your fund three. I'm in fund two. Mm -hmm. Got it. Because you're on your mm -hmm. fund two. Uh, yeah. What were the biggest learnings uh, for you uh, that you took from fund one and applied to fund two when you were raising uh, for your fund two? Uh, I think uh, was just like um, I really like to start. I do like to have minimum. I don't want. I try to measure like my capacity, how many LPs I can be in real touch. And I think for me, despite of definition of LP relationship, for me, it's a partnership. I try to not get into any partnership if I don't see that we can possibly work together at least the next 20 years. So I want to be available for my LPs and I want to bring value to their business and I want to have LPs that would be not just, I think all of my LPs are still very active and they still grow in their assets. So as a result, my fund is growing. So the biggest source of growth of my fund besides our high returns is also that I pick lots of very active LPs, which are young, which still building their companies. Most of them are tech founders and as the assets are growing and they're doing better and better also with our help very often, right? Um, my AUM and just amount of money I can raise for day one activity is also growing. So I like to see it like this way. And I think the learning was we did have a minimum for fund two, which is like two million minimum. And once it comes to raise fund three, it's also minimum. So we, uh, and first you just focus on like biggest checks. And we also have checks which are like 10, 20% of the fund size, which are high conviction checks. I love to work with kind of conviction investors it's really rewarding and they're really available for you and um i always focus on this like big high conviction checks and i try to have minimum as a fund and i might do a couple exceptions for the founders that were backed and extreme value at investors but I, it does really help and i think there are many funds that's created by a few hundred of individuals or 99 individuals backing the fund i don't think it's my style my style is work with like less people but have incredible relationships and supporting them in their journey and have mm -hmm. like a really close touch i wouldn't like force them to help or work with us but i want to be always available to my piece and i think in this i don't know five five years history of the fund it's never been that i didn't return to my lp 
because usually I return within a few minutes, right? And I yeah. want to keep the same way despite of how big the fund going to be and how successful we're becoming. Got it. And uh, Masha, let's say someone is uh, is is looking to you know start their journey in venture capital. Uh, they want to launch a fund, uh, and let's specifically talk about fundraising part uh, from LPs. If you were to yeah. you know, advise top three things that or four up to you uh, that can help uh, GPs to close LPs. Hmm. I think the first thing is uh, I might say something unpopular, but it did really help me that one, I was able to have a good savings from previous business and I was able to put some money aside that I used to just kick off the fund and I didn't have like management fees. I don't have like uh, from the fund, right? I don't have like funds to travel and to organize events and all of that. So I think having like some financial buffer and savings is really helps. I think investing in your first fund helps. I think having previous angel investment portfolio helps if you don't have a bunch of capital. Try to make like one to five thousand dollars checks and like 10 plus companies to gain some track record. But it does really help to have well-performing angel portfolio. By the time I did the first close of fund one, I did have already two exits from my angel portfolio out of, I think, 15 investments and one of them was 10x and that was really helpful as I was trying to close investors for my first fund so they saw what kind of stuff I'm investing in. I think um, what I would say like um, you, you, I think it really helps to have community and just going back to your network. I think it really helps and I think early fund managers really underestimating it. You need to very well analyze your potential base and you need to don't start with like people who can write 100k check. I think you should start with people who can write something like more sizable and be ready to spend some time with them so they get comfortable with this idea. But I do always recommend to start with like securing bigger checks because then the rest of the close rolls very fast and then everyone put 50 or $100,000 checks or something small like less than a million. They can all like roll in towards the close, right? But I do really recommend to start with big checks and then big checks it's easy institution who specialize on what you do, which is really hard for early fund managers or second is just ultra high net worth individuals, right? So ultimately this is a, do you hear me well? Yeah. yeah. Because my headphones changed something. Uh, because yeah. it's ultimately like a function of your net worth, right? And I think the smartest fund, um, the smartest like is they don't put all money in one single fund. And if they do, they never put like more than like, I don't know, one to 5% of the net worth. No one going to put 90% of the net worth into VC fund just because of yeah. the type of this asset class. So just try to estimate net worth and try to understand which people are liquid and looking where to invest. And mm. it takes more time. Like, I don't think don't get like spend too much time on people who probably has high net worth, but just simply not liquid because it would be really pushing them out of comfort zone, but spend time looking more for people who are actually looking like where to invest, right? Look like more for people who already made some money in tech. Might be that they, they have made money with tech stock. It might be that they ran company. It might start with like people who already have some conviction about yeah. tech, right? And who are actually looking for investments because I think uh, it might be not everyone, but it's completely different conversation when people looking to deploy money versus when you push someone who has maybe big liquidity, big uh, net worth on paper, very small liquidity, and you try to squeeze them to, it's almost like when they decide between like, should I like buy something for my home? Should I pay for kids education or should I invest as a fund? You don't, you don't want to like first LP to have like scratch like this. And as you, as you start like working with some LPs, I think then that your next LP is a friend and partner of your existing LP. So uh, take max, like give them a lot, but also like you can leverage 
leverage community of your PF, you build trust and you build great relationship and start showing results because your LPs will tell themselves and brag about investing in your fund. And as a result, their partners, business partners and friends started asking about your fund and you get your um, more of LPs like the ones that you already taken. Got it. Uh, moving on to our last section, Masha, uh, my co-pilot in the back, uh, he's going to drive it. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's, he's, he'll try to get to you, know you outside of work. Uh, so, you know, he's asking what's typical day like for Masha from, uh, from morning to uh, going to bed at night? Mm. I mean, it's a uh, very, very simple. I just wake up, I try to not touch from first hour to uh, yeah. whenever I can. And I just, all day I spend like either meeting people in person, I think for my mental health, I have to do at least two, three, maybe like rather like two meetings in person with people I work with. And then it's just like a bunch of calls. I really prefer phone calls over Zoom. I really take Zoom and there is like something very artificial if there's people in the same city, I would rather take a walk, even if it's a very first meeting, but I just really like people are my biggest passion. So I spend all time working with people and I try to like my week is really organized on the ways that there was like days when I focus more on my team and there's like usually Monday and Wednesday and there is like days when I focus more on like external meetings and there are like days when I like usually take travels, right? So it's quite systematized and because of that, it's like very streamlined and I don't have to think about it. You know, it's like same analogies, some founders like wear the same clothes. For me, it's also like caps optimized. So I very quickly know where should I land in my calendar, right? I really don't to, I think, taking too many meetings or calls, not productive. So I try to pre-filter any opportunities really well and try to focus on that things and do them really well and be completely present and interest and focused and valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, and Masha, we know you as a as an investor, uh, someone who's an expert at PR and communication. What do your friends know you for? Who are you outside of work? I think I'm the same person and I'm actually friends with so many people I'm working with. I don't think I just draw like super strict line with like, here's my friendships and here's my work. I actually try to be friends with all people I work with, but I also give it the time. It doesn't have to happen like in the first months as you invested in the company, you know? I think I like to provoke people to be a better version of themselves and like uh, to help find out what are their most ambitious ideas and goals and targets and mm -hmm. provoke them so they can start shooting and kind of like be annoyingly reminding them about this big goals and ambitions they're shooting for and support them into belief that they can actually accomplish it, right? And so I think, and I like to be giving, I think the biggest like asset of my life is community and friendships and networks that accumulated. So my love language is making introductions from of like one people that I love and trust and inspired by to other people and see how this magical connection just evolve in something bigger. I mm -hmm. really enjoy seeing it in personally and professionally. It's all the same, but I don't really draw the line. I think you're just like one person and one person. you can't be like shitty person in life and just amazing person at work. I think it's just like you, same as like, I don't think is a partner, right? Like you just like, what is like partner? I think you like, it's like all the same. You could be good partner in personal life and same like principles you follow to be a great partner with people you work with, right? Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Masha, for making the time uh, to come on the part. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much. It was super interesting. Really appreciate your questions. And thanks for being so flexible with booking and maybe. Absolutely. Pleasure is all mine. Really enjoyed Thank your question. You. Thank you, Shiva. Thank you.